good morning, everyone. If we haven't met before, I'm Rob Jacobson. If we haven't met before, I'm Rob. I'm so glad you're here today. And I have a little experiment for us today uh, to start with. Would you raise your hand? I promise it's not, nothing too embarrassing. But would you raise your hand if you looked at your reflection this morning? Could have been in a mirror. Could have been in a phone. My kid told me, like, if you shut your phone off, you can actually see yourself. Uh, could have been in a car if you wash your car. All right, all right. You know? Um, Okay, so you can put your hand down now. How many of you looked in a mirror this morning? Like for at least one minute. You looked, and and some of us are glad you looked in the mirror this morning for one minute. You know, just check buttons, you know, maybe we'll just stop there. Uh, How about five minutes? You looked in the mirror for five minutes. Now, Come on, some of us have to shave, you know, and that could take five minutes. Uh, Some of us do our hair for at least five minutes. Come on now, don't be bashful. It doesn't have to be all at once. Just, you know, in the course of the morning, you spend at least five minutes. Okay, so how about 10? Some of you have, it was doing your hair, right? No? Mm, It looks nice. Okay, a few of you, you know, we still have hands up for 10 minutes, and I'll stop at 10 minutes. Now, regardless of how long you looked in the mirror, when you looked in the mirror, how many of you thought all positive things about yourself? (laughs) Oh, two, two, three. You didn't think, you weren't awake. Yeah, all right. Do you want to share one thing that you thought? Okay, excellent. Yeah, and did you want to share how you said it to yourself in your mind? Yeah. Mm. If you missed that in the back, she's hmm. Now, when I, I look in the mirror, that is not something that I do. Uh, in fact, I'm probably too insecure to tell you exactly what goes through my mind, but I'm like, you know what? I can show you what I might be thinking. So when I, most mornings when I look in the mirror, this is what I do. So there's like four not-so-great things and one sometimes good thing. Regardless, though, many of us think about a lot more things that we'd like to change that are, we think are wrong with us than are right with us. I don't know how many of us do. You might be old enough to remember Stuart Smalley. Hello, I'm Stuart Smalley. I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh darn it, People like me. Now, I'm a big fan of positive affirmations and personal affirmations. I just think they should be grounded in the word of God. Because what God says about us is far more important than what we think about ourselves. However, what God does say about us, if we're really honest, and it goes way beyond just how we look in the mirror, is that there is something wrong with us. So if you go to the letter of Ephesians in the New Testament of the Bible, and if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and I think someone will bring you one. It's kind of like magic. Or you can check your phone if you want to use a Bible app. Um, 
God does say, he doesn't sugarcoat it. The writer describes the situation that the people were facing in Ephesus, simply what life would look like without Jesus. Ephesians chapter two says, that as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So if I didn't introduce myself, welcome to Restoration. We're here to restore lives and bring hope and make sure that you know that God loves you. But there is something wrong. Because without Christ, we are dead. Not fall off a cliff dead, but spiritually dead is in disconnected with God and usually disobedient to God. That's who we are without Christ. Now, you might not think that you fit into that category that the writer's being a little bit harsh because we do live in a culture where if anyone evaluates anyone else's behavior or standing in the world, it's considered hateful or judgmental. However, the writer says, as for you. So you might not put yourself in the dead category. And that's okay. If you do, notice how the writer says, all of us lived among them at one time. So if you don't put yourself in the category, well, the writer's saying, yep, you were in the category at one point. And if we think we're still not in the category, he again, I think it's a he, he, he again includes us with this language, like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. So three different times he includes you, all of you, and all of us. And that's the reality of where we stand. It's not good news, but there is good news. God can change everything in a moment, and he does through Christ. This is probably the best, but in the Bible, and possibly in the history of the world, verse 4 says, but God, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace that you've been saved. See, there's this parallelism going on here. There's God, who has this great love for us, God, who's filthy rich in his mercy. He's almost wasteful in how much mercy he has. That's God. And then there's us, and we're completely dead in our transgressions. We're dead in our nature. We, we want to walk away from God. And he made us alive in Christ. This is who he is. He did everything. This is who we are, and we did nothing. And it's simply because he wants to show off his riches of his grace that he gave us life. In fact, if we go down to verse 10, it says that we are God's masterpiece. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In this idea, the word is handiwork here, but the word in Greek is this word pima, and it means anything brought into existence by someone. So it could have been crafted by wood. It could have been shaped with metal. I mean, in our day and age, it could have been built with Legos. It could have been typed or written 
or created, but whatever it is, it refers to the artist's best work. That's what a masterpiece is. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are a piece of work. No, you are God's best piece of work. Because some of us think that. Some of us think we're a piece of work, but not God's best work. But I want you to think about if you had the experience of your parents putting up that very hideous preschool picture that was an, a Rorschach, maybe, or uh, a Picasso lookalike. Like, we're not quite sure what it is, but they put it on the fridge because you made it. They see it as a masterpiece. See, however you see yourself, and you might not think you're good enough or smart enough or whatever, God sees you as a masterpiece. God crafted you and created you. In fact, as God's masterpiece, we are created with the master's purpose. See, God made us and saved us. In Psalm 139, God says that he created us in our inmost being. He knit us together in his mother's womb. That's what this writer David said about God. And then he breaks out in kind of this worship moment like Matthew's been teaching us. God, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We have this on our fridge because we need to be reminded in our house that this is true. Even when we don't feel like it, even when I may touch my face in places that I wish were tighter or fuller or lesser or whatever, that God fearfully and wonderfully made us. My frame was not hidden from you. God, you did great work. Your eyes saw my unformed body when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. All my days were ordained for me and were written in your book of life before they came to be. God saw the span of your life before you were born. And he thinks amazing, amazing thoughts about you. Regardless of what you think about yourself, regardless of what you're doing right now, God thinks amazing, amazing thoughts about you. And, and these writers in Ephesians, the Ephesians letter and this psalm, the writers, David and Paul, they're not just writing down some things. They're like, oh, maybe, maybe this could make it into a holy book someday. They have a personal relationship with the living God and they have encountered him in a way that they realize that he loves them. That's what they're writing about. And as God's masterpiece, we don't just, aren't just God's masterpiece. We're created with his purpose, but also we're created for his purpose. Listen to this middle section of Ephesians 2, starting in verse 6. We're created for the master's purpose. It says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved. And this is not of yourselves through faith. It's a gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. See, we're created 
to give God glory and to show off his glory. He not only looks at you and creates you, no matter what you've done and where you're at, spiritually, when you say yes to Jesus, he lifts you up into the spiritual realm right next to Christ. You are seated at the right hand of Christ who is at the right hand of God. That is a place of honor. That's a place of authority and a place of goodness and power. And we might not always feel like that, but our position in Christ is not determined by our feelings or our performance. It is a gift of God. Not so that we can sit and boast or brag about how much work we've done. No amount of goodness will make God love us more. It doesn't matter how hard you try or how religious you act. You're God's masterpiece. You're created with his purpose and you're created for his purpose. See, he doesn't just want us to think that we're these beautiful masterpieces that hang on a wall so that people can walk by us and go, look at that. Look at her. It's a beautiful painting. Or look at him. What a great piece of art. No, God actually creates us and wants to save us or saves us for good works, not by our good works. See, he wants us to understand how we've been created and then what brings joy to us and to him when we use that, when we share that. See, we're made in Christ to do what God created us to do. That's what verse 10 is talking about. And God put these good works together even before you were born. I mean, God placed us in this time in all history. And I think sometimes he goes, it's 2018 and I know how I made Jack. And I know the mind that I've given him and the skills I've given him and I can't wait to see him do this this year. Because the world needs that. Or, oh, Rebecca, I hope she sees how I prepared her for this moment in this year because that friend is going to come by and they're only going to hear my word and see my, my son through her. Oh, I just, I can't wait. That's, I think, a little bit of what God sees in us. See, when we know who we are, are, we'll know what to do. When we know who we are, we'll know what to do. And as God's masterpiece, we don't have to wonder about like, if I have enough. God, as our, his masterpiece, God has given you everything you need to do what he wants you to do. God has given you everything you need to do what God wants you to do. I mean, 2 Peter 1.3 says that God has given us by his divine power everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So everything for life. So what's not included? I don't know. Everything seems to include everything. I think the problem is that people get focused on the work, not on God's divine power. And when that happens, they get stressed, they get angry, and they get empty. Because maybe you're in a place where you're hearing the same messages over and over and over about how you're not and you just need to, and if only you... And God doesn't send those messages. 
Sometimes we need to get out from that place in order to hear God's messages. But when we stay in that place, and if we're honest, we're often not focused on God and not focused on his divine power, so then we just get focused on the work. Well, if I just battle through, if I just go to one more continuing ed, if I just, if I just believe, believe what these people are saying instead of these people, and we, we sit in this place and we get stuck. I think the other problem we have with believing that God has given us everything we need to do, everything he's called us to do, is that we compare. Some, some people call it masterpiece envy. Ooh, do you just love the way that, that Leslie connects with people? I just wish I could connect with as many people as her, I'm, I'm, but I, I can't. Or, oh, do you see the way that John can connect the, the concrete realities of finances with the abstract concepts of sales and design and creativity? Oh, I, I, I can't think like that. And we get so focused on what we can't do because of what we see others do that we don't see what God has called us and created us to do. No matter what age you are, no matter what experiences you've had, God has given you abilities and experiences that only you have. And he wants you to use them. He's, I think he's waiting for you to use them. He's prepared you to use them. But we get stuck in comparison. There's actually a story in the Bible that talks about this. There's a lot of stories in the Bible that talks about this, but the one that I'm thinking of is uh, when God calls Gideon. It's in Judges chapter 6, and I love this story. God's been using this for the last many months, um, many months in my life, because when God calls, God's people are being oppressed by this nation called the Midianites, and so God says, Gideon, the Lord is with you. You are going to deliver my people from the Midianites. And he calls him this mighty warrior, or this mighty man of valor. Valor is like strength, integrity, and honor all in one. And Gideon's response is from Judges 6. Pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? Because my clan is the weakest in the smallest tribe of the nation of Israel, and I'm the least in my family. So here's your people, we're the smallest tribe, and I'm in the smallest clan, and I'm the least in my family. Find someone else. Now, I don't know if he says find someone else, but that's essentially what I think he's saying, and I think we do that. Here's all the things that I see are wrong with me, whether they're on the inside or the outside. And God says, no, listen to who I've called you to be who I already see you as. And by the way, I love you. I'm stinking proud of you. I don't know if God says stinking, but in my version, he does. It's a little bit like, uh, I, was trying, I was praying this week about how we do this and how we could talk about this in a concrete way, but still generalize for people. And so I think this picture of a pitcher, it's like, God creates us and shapes us and forms us. And you, you can see how this is not only created with beauty, it's created with purpose. Would you agree? This is created with purpose. And it's probably created for a purpose. Any guesses at what that purpose might be? 
to hold and pour liquid. I would agree. Yeah. Except I love cereal. Like, I love cereal. So I keep using it to eat my mini-wheats. And I pour the milk in, and then my cereal, my spoon isn't long enough, and my hand gets stuck in the neck, and I'm like, this is stupid. This is not a masterpiece. I just want to eat my cereal. I wish I had a bowl. See, if I had a bowl, I could eat my cereal so much better, but I can't. And so I curse how the thing is made because I haven't stopped to ask the person who designed it what the purpose was made for. And I think we do the same thing with our own life. God, I wish I was this. And we don't stop to see, wait, how did you design me? And it's not this me-centered theology. It's not, how did you design me so that I can sit in front of the mirror and go, look at me. I'm good. I'm smart. I'm, I'm poor liquid. And hold it. I mean, a pitcher that pours and holds liquid is pretty darn lonely and useless unless you have some people that are thirsty or some glasses that will hold what the pitcher is there to share. And the same is true with how God designs us. God didn't put us in a vacuum. God has given you things to share with the world because the world needs it. And he's prepared everything and given us everything. And when we know who we are, I think we'll know what to do. You're created with the master's purpose and you're created for the master's purpose. And and finally, as God's masterpiece, God uses everything in your life to bring about his purposes. Everything. See, some of us, we might admit that God is the potter and that he shaped us and formed us. And so we're this pitcher. And if we get used to being this pitcher instead of wanting to be the bull, we might start to find some joy or satisfaction in that, except life comes along and smashes us. Whether it was our parents' words or something that happened to us as a kid, or just life's trials and hardships, we get broken. And sometimes we're like, oh, only I was just a lump of clay because I've seen people who do pottery and they shape something and then it deforms and then they just put some water on it and they reshape it. It's all back together. But now I've hardened. Now I've aged. Now all, there's so many, so many years that have passed since this happened. There's no possible way that God can do anything with me. Does it sound like anything you've thought before? But here's the reality that is from God, and it's Romans 8, 28. And though not really great when someone's hurting and very bad for funerals, it's a verse to have in your heart when life is hitting you hard. It says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things so all things, that would include good things, right? Like we love people who are athletes, people who are not athletes, people who are athletic supporters that wear purple and people who are athletic supporters that wear any other color. But he works in all things. So that would include Vikings wins. But it would also include layoffs, cuts, 
divorce, addiction, abuse, death. God works in all things, everything. And God works it for good. He can mold and shape even things that are already hardened and cracked, and we don't think there's any possible way they can go together. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have said yes to who God has made you to be, yes to the son he created and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, if you have said yes to Christ, then you're his masterpiece and he will work all things for good. He's like a master artist who practices this Japanese art of pottery called uh, kintsu, kintsugi. Kintsugi is this art of repairing hardened, broken pottery. The word uh, kintsugi means golden thread because they use this gold thread or glue as a, in a lacquer to put the pieces back together, sometimes in the way that they were created, sometimes to create something totally new. But it's also this belief that the thing that's now made because of that precious gold that's in there and because of the way that they can put these back together, that actually the restored thing is more beautiful than the original. That's who God is. And regardless of with, if you think you've never been cracked or in your, if you're in a million pieces, God made you and he can remake you. That's who you are. That's who he sees already. See, God used this guy, Gideon, and 300 men to fight an army. And he gave them trumpets and torches, not swords and shields. Against an army that was one of the strongest at the time with 135,000 men. God sent them in the middle of the night, told them to blow the trumpets and break, uh, hold the torches, and then I think they had some pots, break those, and 120 of them killed each other. And 15,000 ran away, and the 300 people chased them. God did that. Gideon didn't do that. Gideon still questioned how God had called him, but he learned that God was going to use everything to shape and remake him. For God's good, not his own. Now, some of you are in a time where you're going through something that I can't even imagine. It's painful. It doesn't, you're, you're not sure what it looks like on the other side, whatever the other side is. But God sees the other side. And if you'll let God, he'll take those pieces and I'll start putting them back together. And even if they involve other people, God can put those back together in a way that makes who you are and what God wants for you even more beautiful than it used to be. It does take us to hand our life to him. It does take us to realize that we're sinners. And the problem is we are all broken and shattered and we're like, oh, let me just get some stuff together, God, so that I can present myself a little bit more special. Like if you've ever seen a child break some pottery and try to put it back together themselves with some Elmers, like it's so bad. 
It's really, like, God doesn't expect us to do that. It's like, you know, if you just give me the pieces, I can make this masterpiece. I can, I can weave royal, resurrected blood and spirit through you from Christ. Because that's where I see you when you say yes to my son. God seats us in his heavenly realms, calls us his masterpiece, and it's like, even them, they're going to... They're going to show the world my glory. They're going to show how good my grace is and how rich my kindness is. I can't wait. So what's stopping you? Where are you stuck? Is it that you want to fix yourself thinking that you have to be good enough to come to God? No, he just wants you to say yes to him right where you're at. The scriptures say that if we confess our sins to God, he will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We just need to say, I need a savior. And and if you're already a believer, then what does it look like to live as God's masterpiece? I'm glad you asked. It looks a little bit like this artist in France who rented a studio apartment up a couple floors so that he could paint the cityscapes and the Eiffel Tower in the background. And as he starts painting, he sees this homeless, ordinary man on the street. He's not sure when the last time he showered was, but it looks like it's been quite a while. His clothes are always dirty. He's often in a drunken stupor, and he moves from bench to bench, stumbling and sleeping. And he's just captured by this man. And he actually decides to paint him. Except he doesn't paint him as a dirty bum. He paints him clean-shaven, well-dressed, full of self-respect and confidence. One day he brings the portrait out to the man and he says, you know, I've just been watching you for the last few weeks and I decided to paint you. And the man goes, that's not me. It couldn't be me. And he said, no, no, no. When I see you, this is who I see. And the bum says, if that's the man you see, then that's the man I'm going to be. That's a little bit of what it means for us to live as God's masterpiece. That we are special and significant in Christ, that we have gifts that God wants to use, and that every other human being does too. Would you see them as God's masterpiece. Them having something to offer the world to make a difference for God's good and God's glory. Do you pray with me? God, we know that in a few weeks, uh, our city is going to host the NFL's crown jewel. And while it'd be fun to have our favorite team in, God, we realize with the hundreds of players and thousands of spectators that there will be nefarious organizations that will ship in women and girls to be used and bought and consumed and tossed away people that are your masterpiece, God. God, I pray that 
we would join in with these networks and these churches and these organizations that would be doing good and trying to rescue, bring truth and light as your people, God, to this situation. Realize that, God, there are people that discard human life far earlier than that. And we pray from the war zones of the world to the wombs of mothers that we would be people that would uphold life. All life at all times. Because you have made us as your masterpiece. God, I pray that we would accept the life that your son gives us that it is a resurrected eternal life that can be threaded with the blood of your royalty and your resurrection. And we can be made new and we can offer that to others. Speak to us, Holy Spirit.